As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, Well, it was a mixed weekend and we'll cover the lows as well as the highs. Considerable highs as our first team went to Tottenham and particularly in the first half, embarrassed them in their own stadium. Amy Lawrence and Art de Rocher are our guests. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Good morning to you. Have a nice Sunday. Do you have a nice Sunday? Nice. Do anything nice? Just your regular Sunday. (laughs) Your regular Sunday, yeah. Um, I I should say, we do discuss the opening question uh, before we start the podcast. I did suggest to Amy that we look at what event in your life has given you more joy. (laughs) And I did say to her that this was a close run thing between yesterday and the birth of my children. Um, But what we were actually thinking about, what tiny detail from yesterday's match will stay with you and sustain you through the coming weeks and months? There are a number to choose from. Uh, Amy, I'm going to come to you first. Can I just ask you, can you keep it to three? (laughs) Because you have to leave a couple to us. No, I'm going to leave them to you. But if if, if others go unmentioned, I might come back. But I'll pick my favourite of of many, actually, that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed while I couldn't sleep um, between about 3 and 4.30am this morning, just going through Twitter and, you know, seeing those finer details. But Ben White screaming at Cessignon as he was about to shoot (laughs) was just beautiful. I, I, I... you guys play football. I mean, have you had that with people that you know? Um, I always laugh when I see it <laughs> Very in kids' off-putting. football. That it was really off-putting. Yes. And I thought it was tremendous and perhaps helped uh, Ramsdale to make that wonderful save. Who knows? But it, what I think it, 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 it symbolised in the broader context was something about Arsenal's defence, something so familiar and reassuring in the kind of like absolute loathing of conceding a goal in any circumstance. Obviously, this was a very specific circumstance that would be even worse than normal. But I think Ben White screaming showed that sense of like a bit old-fashioned Arsenal back four. Like if you concede a goal, even if you've won 5-0, you're fuming. And actually, just wanted to mention, 
I don't know if anyone saw this clip of Tony Adams, who was interviewed on David Seaman's Seaman's Says podcast recently, but he was talking about a routine he used to have when he used to go in the toilet at the, in the dressing room at Highbury in the old days. And uh, he would scream at the top of his voice in that slightly zany, finger-pointy, over-enthusiastic Tony Adams way. You'll never pass the arse! <laughs> and um, yeah. I think that, you know, that, that in a way that Ben White scream reminded me of that defensive spirit. Yeah. Well, well, we'll talk about that defensive spirit, uh, which we need to show, uh, needed to show in the second half. Uh, but tiny details, uh, Art, what have you got for us? Tiny details that really gave you joy yesterday. <laughs> um, like Amy, mine doesn't actually come when Arsenal had the ball. Uh, it was during the second half when Tottenham were trying to pile some pressure on. And there's a moment where the ball's fed into someone, I can't remember who, and his first thought is to pass it backwards and the whole stadium just groans as one and as that happened so I was watching it with a friend at home and we both just burst out laughing at, at that moment because you could feel it like obviously that's happened at Arsenal a couple of years ago where you want the attack to keep going and just that one that one moment just ruins everything and I think um, almost to counterbalance that it and look at it from an Arsenal's perspective, you just saw a complete difference in composure when they had the ball. I think every pass was looking to go either forward or into space. And I think, again, small details, but I feel like you know Erdegaard's on on one when you can see he's got a bounce kind of when he's playing. Mm. I don't know how to describe it other than that, but when you just watch him and the way he moves, he's got like this bounce that he does Um and yeah, I feel like when you see that, you know, you know, he's there to play. Yeah. Well, we were there to play. Uh, it's true. It's basically the difference, isn't it, uh, Amy, between fear, playing with fear and playing without fear, uh, which is essentially one of the many differences between the teams. Uh, before you answer that, uh, sorry, again, in fact, go on, just add. add no, a I was going to say, have you got, have you got your little moments yeah, uh, well uh, um, to be honest a lot of the little moments involved uh, Gabriel Martinelli to be honest with you um, I really like the one where the ball came across and he hit it he sort of stuck his leg up and hit it with the outside of his foot back across the goal which led indirectly to Thomas Partey's unbelievable volley um <laughs> His shooting's getting better, isn't it? Do you remember all those shots that went 100 yards over the bar when he first turned up for us and we thought, never shoot, stop shooting, Thomas. Now, oh my God, that one almost uprooted the post, didn't it? Just on the subject of Martinelli, I, uh, that my, if I didn't go for the Ben White scream, I was going to go for uh, Martinelli, uh, the scarf and the spider cam. <laughs> Because that was great that was... as part of the post-match <laughs> celebrations. Well, that is... That and is he did f- this kind of fist bump afterwards, like, yeah. yes, I've, I've done it. I've got the scarf up there. It's because he missed it. The, the first time he missed he it, it, so again. he had to go again. Uh, right, OK. <laughs> uh, also, by the way, uh, a word for him controlling the ball with his back and winding up Romero, who, let's be fair, doesn't need a lot of winding up and, and, and probably <laughs> should not have been on the pitch. That would have really put the tin hat on it. On it for, but anyway, uh, there, there'll be other details. I'm not sure we missed any, but if you have any, enjoy them. Really, uh, there is actually one a bigger one which we will talk about uh, in a short while. Saka 
lots of possession. Odegaard, a crack again from distance, and he finds the bottom corner. And Arsenal do get what is a deserved 2-0 advantage here. Tottenham nil, Arsenal 2. First time we won there since March 2014. Uh, an own goal from Hugo Lloris to Martin Odegaard with a... A beautiful, he'd had a couple of sighters and then he knocked that one in and it was absolutely wonderful. Go on, Amy. Just on Erdegaard, it's you know sometimes you get a feeling about a player or about something that's going to happen in a game and uh, I, I was convinced he was going to score in this game and I'll tell you exactly for why. Um, at the launch of the new stadium art last week, uh, Martin showed up as captain um, as a representative of the current squad, there were a lot of older legends around and he did a really good job of, you know, mingling with everybody and he was very happy to meet a lot of players uh, from the past and fans who were there and all sorts of people in uh, what was called the Arsenal family who were lucky enough to be there. But I, I was watching him for a bit and I, and there was a there was a point where there was essentially a queue of people standing in a, in a line to get their photo taken with Martin. And every single one of them, when they shuffled up next to him for their picture, said, oh, Sunday, you've got to win on Sunday, got to score on Sunday, got to design on Sunday, 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 Sunday. And it was like you could feel the energy in the room just like getting into his brain. And I remember watching him, I thought, he's going to score on Sunday. He's going to go away from this game and he's going to have that extra feel, which you only get from being amongst, you know, they live in a bubble at London Coney, obviously. And, you know, they have lives and they're out and about and they have other people that they know. But it's the way of modern football at the highest level that obviously you don't li live a completely normal life. But because he had this access to kind of the heartland of Arsenal emotion, he would have gone home that day under no illusions. If he had any before, it was all about. But uh, correct. But anyway, that said, it was one of those where I, it, it, it was destined. It almost felt. <laughs> and again, just as part of that strengthening of the bonds between on the pitch, off the pitch, it's it's such a, a beautiful accompaniment to this season's journey. Quite, quite, and it is it is a beautiful journey as well. Talking of beautiful journeys, Amy, before, uh, you, you said you were pretty wound up uh, before the uh, the derby for the whole weekend, <laughs> to the point, <laughs> and I love this story about you, uh, uh, well, you tell me, you were basically going somewhere on Saturday morning, this is like, you know, yeah, 36 yeah. hours before the derby, and what happened? Yeah. Well, it was about seven in the morning and I had to get my uh, eldest son to his football match uh, departure very early and uh, the sat-nav wanted to take me down um, Tottenham Lane in Muswell Hill and when I saw it coming up on the sat-nav I kind of almost did a cartoon going down there because I am insane and a loon and that's fine, I don't mind and I decided that it was a only decent thing on this weekend just to, you know, to make your point and not get infected by things that might not help. And of course... In the, myst in the mystical well, <laughs> celestial overlords that control these things. Well, that is the point, isn't it, really? Because now, oh, Amy can't go down Tottenham Lane uh, uh, before any <laughs> North London derby. Yeah, I don't care what you've got to do down forever. there. You have to go down a back route. I, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if there's road work. The road doesn't exist. <laughs>
Do you know there's a road in 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 Islington quite close to the Emirates called Sheringham something <laughs> Lane Avenue, whatever it is? <laughs> is I never there... drove down there either. Yeah, right. I bet I it's a horrible road. road, horrible line. Oh, cheating I wouldn't know. Road. Wouldn't know. Right. Never gone down. Go it. on, Art. You're going to say something. No, it's just that thing about superstitions. I think everyone has them now. Before, especially before games like this, like I just didn't want to think at all about the game because obviously the Premier League overlords decided to put Man City first on the weekend and Arsenal last, and that honestly, that's the most terrible thing they could have done. I think so. Um... <laughs> I think there's more terrible things they could have done. Maybe they maybe sold more, one of the clubs. But... They let one of the clubs be sold to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. That's quite bad as well. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. To try not to think about it, a few of us just went to Greenwich and uh, went to a golfing range, uh, and that helped take our minds off it. So, um, yeah, as I said, like before we started recording, I got home a minute before kickoff, which um, I'm completely fine with because it just got me straight into the mood for the game and I'm glad the way it went. So maybe I'll do that before the next North London derby. Well, well. I did watch a bit. I did watch a little bit of the build-up. I I sort of got to the TV about five past four and what I saw was Paul Merson talking about the game and being insanely optimistic. I mean, I I know people think I'm a... ridiculous when it comes to my optimism. And by the way, by the end of this podcast, you might think I'm more ridiculous. But he was sat there saying, oh, man, United's a more difficult game than this. right?" And and I think we'll win. I think we'll win well. And then what they did is they showed him a graphic where it showed our results since 2014, which is, uh, which is lost six and drawn two at, uh, uh, at Tottenham, whether it's at White Hart Lane or at Wembley or at the new stadium. It, it got to the point where Jamie Redknapp, who was his uh, uh, co uh presenter on uh, on Sky got quite wound up obviously with his Tottenham affiliations but Art I said to you before the game I mean we talked about this on Thursday and I asked you and James would you take the draw and you sort of reluctantly said yes and I said I sorry go on my words were if it meant beating Man United (laughs) that is true now all right I'll give you that whereas I was like no 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 we are better than them we are better than them. Our boys know they're better than them. Their boys, mm. by the way, know they're better than them. And as you said, Art, 10 minutes in, we knew. We knew that yeah. whatever happened, we're turning up this time. We are. We I turned think, up. I think that's the main thing Like throughout this season. We've got a grasp of what's going to happen in a game within that opening 10 minutes. Whether it's Arsenal pressing really high and putting teams under pressure like Martinelli did with Lloris or again, just the composure they had on the ball in their own half yesterday. It kind of reminded me of the Newcastle game, but to a a higher extent because of the occasion, obviously I just felt the way they were moving it, the pace they were moving it at, they just didn't seem troubled in any sense. And like you say, I think it's the comfort that you have uh, when you're watching them. You you feel like they know what they're doing. You do. Um, you do. And that, that obviously wasn't there last season. And I think going into the game, that's probably um, some of the caution comes from not wanting to get overexcited. But when, when you see it, I think you just get a sense of calm, which obviously washes over everyone, players, staff, and people watching. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, Amy, I, I mean, Adam Adam Crafton from The Athletic, he did a tweet saying, the lack of jeopardy in Arsenal games is the most unnerving thing. They just seem sane and sorted. 
They should be starting to crap themselves, but just seem completely unaffected by pressure, expectation or history. There is something in that, isn't there? I mean, there is a calm. 18 games, 18 games, 18 games. <laughs> well, sure. We don't know yet. No, but Come so on, far. Ian. So- and the same to Adam. No, listen. It's so far, great. But why should they be showing, uh, uh, you know, crap in themselves? Because they the have moment? every other time. This is Arsenal and we know what they've been like. And Yes, but all- they've been a different team. Listen, the one thing about this game... Uh, 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 at White Hart Lane or wherever, whatever they're called now. Um, Armitage Shanks. <laughs> the one thing that, that I think the main sentiment about going to this particular fixture in recent years that has been the most frustrating is coming back every day thinking, where was the where was the courage? Where was the f- ambition? Where was the you know determination? And you know it was it was sadly lacking in the majority of matches over there for really too long to mention and you know you win you lose you have to accept results but to not actually go into a north london derby with your you know your boxing gloves on so to speak yeah uh, and with your head in that headspace I, i always felt was perhaps the most difficult thing to take in recent seasons harder than the actual um results and this time it was that very clean courage that seemed to be um it set the tone and that's why Arsenal were able to control the game so delightfully in the first half and put themselves in a position where actually 2-0 flattered Tottenham at half time in, in any event I think that there will be a point in this season when the the pressure is more evident. And I, I, it's been a blessing for this team that they haven't had to worry about it yet. They've come through all the tests so far on that front, more or less, apart from Man United away, which I think was the only one where they didn't really show their best selves. And they weren't really brave enough, I didn't think, in that, in that game. So it'll be fascinating to see how they can approach this one coming up this weekend. Yeah, well... But, I think it's just so premature to be saying things like that. You know, funny things happen to people's minds. If you're, you know, the closer you get to something you want. But it's still very, very far away. And that's helping the players because I don't think they're allowing themselves. I don't think Mikel Arteta is allowing them to think too big just yet. No, no. Keep doing the good things. And there will be a point where that pressure absolutely, you know, cranks up big style. And that, that's when they're going to have to ask themselves some slightly different questions. Let's, um, uh, I mean, look, look all right, I, I, I absolutely take your point. I think, I just think it's worth comparing um, last season at Tottenham where we got beat 3-0, obviously with a defence that was almost completely different. Gabriel was the only one um, of the starters uh, who was in there. It was Tommy Asu, uh, Cedric and Holding were the other um, defensive players um, as opposed to this year where we just looked so solid. But, I absolutely take your point about not carry, getting carried away, although I do enjoy getting carried away, I must say. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, individual performances. We could go right through the team, but I've just picked out a few. Aaron Ramsdale, our uh, man of the match. It was sort of weird, really, because you could have given man of the match to any of the Arsenal players, and it and it, and it it does... If you give the goalkeeper man of the match, it sort of sounds like you've been <laughs> under the cosh a little bit, which absolutely was not the case. We completely dominated the first half, but he made crucial saves 
at crucial moments of the game, end of the first half, great save from Son early on, uh, end of the first half, really, really good save from Harry Kane. And then start the second half, two or three great saves, particularly uh, from Sessignon. Uh, but it was his general air of calm. I'd almost say Seaman-esque, really. <laughs> I think that was probably his best performance, goalkeeping-wise, in an Arsenal shirt. Just because, again, for most of that first half, he was a spectator. He was just watching Arsenal attack most of the time. And then you call upon him for that Son save that he made. And I think you just saw someone who was concentrated and ready. And that's what you need, I think, when you're a team who are going to have most of the ball and expect to have most of the ball. And then obviously in the second half, he was a bit more active. But again, it's that concentration that was there. And I think sometimes more, say, at the start of the season, you saw maybe a bit of a a dip, I, I think. And as the season's gone on, I think he's gotten stronger. Obviously, he got, I think it was a couple of clean sheets in a row just before the World Cup break. And thankfully, he's kind of brought that form back. Um, And I think you just saw, I guess, what is the difference? Because again, Amy mentioned it before, but clean sheets, I don't think they've kept a clean sheet against Tottenham since Arteta took charge. Even when they beat them comfortably at the Emirates, there's always been that one goal and I think that would have been a very kind of big thing going into that last half an hour in particular making sure you don't concede um, because a win's one thing but a clean sheet to go with that is something totally different I think for the mind as well as um, everything else. I do think as well that kind of connected to that and we spoke about this a bit before in relation to the Newcastle game but the lack of attacking options was something that impacted on, on that last period of the game because you know you could see how absolutely bushed Saka, Martinelli and Ketia were by the end of it and they are being relied upon to play pretty much every minute of pretty much every game right now and thankfully they're you know <laughs> rising to the task magnificently but I think had Arsenal been able to bring on one or two fresh uh, subs with something about them, I would have expected Arsenal to score on the break. So I think that that second half would have had a different complexion because while Tottenham were trying to put the pressure on, there was definitely spaces to be exploited. But it looked like the front players just didn't quite have the legs. So I think that um, we'll all be keeping an extra keen eye on what happens in the window over the next couple of weeks. Window part two, if you like. Um, (laughs) We'll get to that. We will will talk about that. Um, Amy, I want to ask you about Alexander Sinchenko. I mean, I I always thought he was a class act. I know that Pep Guardiola didn't have him in his first team, but he is captain of Ukraine. He's a central midfielder for Ukraine. He's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant footballer. I think that was probably his best game. Uh, for the Arsenal. I know that there were a couple of moments where he got caught at the end of the first half and, and Kane got that chance. But to progress the ball from defence to midfield the way that he does, he is one of those guys that can do that. Um, he's added so much to our defence. He's such a brainy footballer. He is. I always feel like there's several times during a game where he picks a pass that I really didn't see. And... I love that 
because you're like, oh, that was, you know. Yeah. He's yeah. got that slight element of surprise where I'm sure if you can feel that off the pitch as an observer, you're probably feeling that on the pitch as a player as well, where there's an expectancy that the ball is going to go in a certain direction from a player in that position and he sends it somewhere, somewhere else and it progresses the ball and progresses possession in such a, a rapid way. You know, one pass splits, you know, it, it, it's almost like changing gear. I sometimes feel like he makes a pass and Arsenal go in that, you know, two seconds or whatever that the ball is travelling, the Arsenal have gone from like second to fourth gear, just like that. Yeah. And it's a fantastic asset to the way this team is playing. Yeah. Also, is also is jumping. By the way, we won a lot of headers from uh, uh, from goal kicks, and and that's impressive as well. He's not a big guy. Um, ah, oh, I'll ask you about Thomas Partey. I mean, Amy has often talked about Thomas Partey on this podcast and said that he is the he is really the one <laughs> that we can't <laughs> lose. And I think it has generally been felt. I did feel that about Jesus, and here we are. But but Eddie's stepped up and done an absolutely brilliant job. I don't think there's anyone else who can do what Thomas Partey does. And not, by the way, just in our team, in the entire league. I wouldn't want to talk about the whole league just yet, but um, I think it's just the the presence, really, presence of mind more than anything, because you saw for, I think, Erdegaard's goal, obviously, Lloris just booms the ball up to the halfway line and he's there to, to win the second ball. And he takes three players out of the game with his first touch. And I just that awareness of what's going on around him it's it's a game changer really, and I just don't feel like you said Ian. I don't feel there's a replacement for that really. And the difficult thing is, if you're thinking long term, how do you get a ready-made replacement for that? I I don't know, um, but I guess that's why. I'm not <laughs> in those discussions, really. Um, but I think it was just throughout the game you saw, obviously everyone was um, talking about the shot he had that hit the post, but the, the, the way he was able to just, I think, control the game in tandem with Zinchenko. Um, I think it was more like Zinchenko, Partey and Erdegaard were like a trio that helped Arsenal keep their foot on Tottenham's neck. Um, from the first five minutes. And uh, I think with those three, you, those are the guys where you see um, where this Arsenal team has gone from where they were. One more I'll do uh, before we move on. Um, Amy, Pakayo Saka, I mean, we are almost dismissive of him at this point in the sense, well, what I mean by that is that we go, oh, yeah, yeah, Pakayo, he's just brilliant. He's just brilliant. But he was, I mean, Sessegnon, I saw his face at the end of that game um, and he looked hunted. I mean, he looked, when he came off and he he went, oh my God, what have I been up against? Bukayo had him on toast and, and he does that every week and he's so brave and so consistent in the way he plays. I mean, he's getting better. Yeah, it looks that way. Let's hope it gets better and better for him between now and it's true. May. It's true. I'm just, I just wanted to express my love for him, I suppose, at this point, because I, I do think, I'm not saying that we take him for granted, but it's just that he's, he's been so good now for, and he carried the team for a, for a while. I think, I think what you've got with Bukayo is uh, that kind of almost serenity that comes with the confidence that he's going to deliver. I don't think you have doubts when he's got the ball. 
you can almost sit back in an almost Henri-esque uh, way and just wait for him to do what he needs to do. To make something happen. He is incredibly consistent. Incredibly consistent for a, a, a young man. His levels have been sustained so high since he broke into the team. It's quite remarkable. And a credit to how hard he works and to his own personal levels of motivation that he can do that every week. Well, I just wanted to mention him because I feel that some weeks we just go, yeah, 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 Bukayo, of course he's brilliant. At the end of the game, some idiotic fan uh, kicked uh, Aaron Ramsdale. Um, he does wind up the opposition fans. I don't have any problem with him doing that. And by the way, before you answer this, I have to salute the hundreds of fans who said that the culprit will be severely punished by Tottenham by being made to watch them until the end of the season. Well done, you. I wish I'd thought of it myself. All right. But, I mean, we've talked about Rambo and what he did uh, uh, during this game. But he loves a wind-up, doesn't he? I mean, uh, it's, it's just, it's part of his makeup, isn't it? What was significant is that aspect of his personality is allied with an actual sort of calmness as well because it would have been very easy to react in a stronger fashion to what happened and he just sort of took it in his stride and wandered away uh, yeah, imagine, quite coolly imagine if that was Jens Lehmann <laughs> <laughs> exactly it wouldn't have been that big a stretch for someone to have reacted yes and then all of a sudden you're faced with a you know twenty one man brawl a la old Tra- old Trafford nineteen ninety one and a points deduction points especially the way that the FA are um, with us looking out for for Arsenal at the moment. So uh, having said that, it is a lot easier to you know to walk away from things when you've won. Well, and when your manager's yeah. dragging you away as well. I mean, oh, uh, Mikel <laughs> Arteta, I, it's absolutely brilliant. He obviously. Great that we wanted to celebrate with our own fans, but I love the way he went over there. First of all, he got Aaron Ramsdale. Then there is a there there's about a number of still photos when he's got Aaron Ramsdale when he suddenly realizes that granite could be a bigger problem and he lets Aaron go and he goes over and sorts out granite and fair play to him, because we know that granite's got a temper. But uh Mikel was going, No no no, forget them, forget those idiots behind that goal. Go and celebrate with uh, our brilliant fans behind the other goal. Yeah, I think obviously you've got to be in tune to the situation there and, and Mikel was. But I think what you saw with Xhaka, even before, so when the incident happened, you saw that he doesn't care who you are. Um, he was having a go if... at content. He was having a go at content at one point, wasn't he? It? it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I, mean, I mean that in, in a good yeah. way, in that if, if you're there to... I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but um, if, if you're there to bullshit someone, <laughs> he doesn't care if you're a player, a manager, or a fan. Yeah. He will he will dish it out with yeah. you. Even if there's and sixty thousand of us having a go at him, he will he will dish it out back. <laughs> exactly. He? We've seen it. So I mean, if he's done it with Arsenal fans, I mean Tottenham fans, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go, go yeah, ahead. which is why Mikel but, was over there as quickly as he was. Yeah, but I, I think that's just. You you see it in little moments throughout games, obviously, and then there it could have gone one way, but I don't think it was necessarily a, a bad thing, really. And obviously, you wouldn't want it to escalate, but again, you just got, I think, a little glimpse of the character there, uh, someone who's very, they are what you see. Yeah. Art, I'm, a, I'm an admirer of your... Um 
your <laughs> civilised manner to ask if you're allowed to swear. I think I broke my swear box this weekend. I think it. <laughs> I don't. I think it's not. It's it's um. Uh, it's a write-off. I don't even think it can go for repair. Yeah. Um, well, when you saw that, when you saw uh, the sat nav say Tottenham Lane, that was the first time, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> but uh, I, 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 on the subject of swearing, um, and I think I've mentioned this before in this podcast and on a previous podcast with Ars Blog, and it shows how long ago it was. That it was years ago we first discussed it. But um, to use a slightly less offensive uh, uh, terminology, this fit all my criteria for an F off win. Away from home, a lot on the line, maybe expected to come, you know, come undone against a, a proper rival. And uh, I think the, the players and everybody were lucky enough in t- to be inside the ground and the away end looked amazing at the end. And some videos of the concourses doing the round looked pretty lively as well. Uh, An F-off win has they, to be they, away, they, doesn't it? By it the way. has to be away yeah. for me, yes. yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one that kind of sends a message as well as being of, of intrinsic value for just, you know, what you get out of it for, you, for for the team in terms of points and so on. But the other thing that really resonated was, you know, the players running off down to that corner because it was just such a kind of um, touchstone and reminder of 2004, winning the league at their place when Arsenal were under police instruction not <laughs> to go and celebrate with their fans because it was considered to be potentially inflammatory. And that was all agreed before the match. And then um, due to the way that the emotions overran at the end of the game, uh, Thierry Henry tells a great story, look it up if you haven't seen it already, about Maurizio Tirico, um over-celebrating Tottenham's equaliser. And he was like, right, you want to see a celebration? <laughs> OK, we'll celebrate. And off they ran, twirling the shirts, like yeah. pelting off yeah. as a kind of collective to go and enjoy the moment in front of their own and for them to do that yesterday again it had some resonance beyond the result I think and what I thought was rather sweet was even the way that they were sort of jumping around the players it seemed quite sort of boyish yeah I I was gonna say they looked like school kids yeah they looked like they hadn't really done it you know before and they were a bit out of rhythm with each other and as if they weren't quite sure what they were doing and I thought there was a sweetness to it actually yeah even though no doubt and and it was particularly Sweet, because you know that Richard Keyes would probably be sprouting hair on his wrists just at the mere <laughs> Angry wrist hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I did send him a you OK, hun, message on Twitter, but I didn't get anything back. Uh, <laughs> after the game, he was ranting. He was still ranting, apparently, on being or whatever he's on. Um, by the way, uh, before we move on, um, United next week... Uh, uh, also uh, an enormous, enormous game. We're in a title race. I mean, I think we can say that, can't we? We're in a title race. I mean, we're all eight points clear, but but we know City have got enormous money and massive resources and we don't know what's going to happen in the transfer window. But the players believe it, don't they, Amy? The players, I mean, I mean, like you said, there was a sort of boyish enthusiasm to the celebrations, but... When they're on that pitch, they're standing up, aren't they? I mean, we didn't even talk about William Saliba, who had Harry Kane in his pocket. Harry Kane, by the way, going for the record, for the Tottenham record, which, please the Lord, he gets next week against Manchester City. Wouldn't that be nice? We're all on Team (laughs) Harry for for the next four or five days. But they are 
yes, they they celebrated like boys, but they played like men yesterday, and it was uh, it was really uh, a joy. Oh, that's a ni- oh, that's a nice headline there, Stoney. Uh, you know what? I, <laughs> you know what? It sounded it sounded nice, didn't it? I was as I, as it came out, I thought, yeah, that sounds good. But they did they did play like men yesterday, and they played like grown ups. It was a mature performance, and and I think we're all proud of them. And uh, uh, drink it in. Gooners, uh, these these things don't come along uh, all that regularly. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence, and Art DeRoche on duty for handbrake off on this rather lovely Monday morning after we beasted Tottenham at their place yesterday afternoon. Um, the weekend didn't start that well. Amy, Mihailo Mudrik, who'd been making eyes at us for weeks and weeks, and we thought it was all a done deal. And then Chelsea came in with a ridiculous bid, and they've already got 15 forwards. <laughs> we've got we've got like three or four. They've got 15, about eight of them on loan. But no, 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 they need Mudrik. Uh, I mean, I must admit, after the initial feeling... I was I was disappointed because I've been excited about this kid for a while. I was disappointed. But after the initial feeling, I thought... We we stayed true to our our principles and and our and the plan that we've got, which we we don't want to overspend. Now, obviously, this whole thing is is to a certain extent reliant on us getting someone in in the transfer window in the next few weeks. But assuming that we do, Amy, do you feel are you, are you okay with this one? I mean, we're all very excited about Mudrik, but it didn't happen, and we have to move on. I am sympathetic to the way the club try to do business. I think, you know, there are probably people out there that say, oh, if Arsenal had been quicker to get to the, you know, the kind of big money that uh, Shakhtar were demanding, um, it might have happened. It might have happened before Chelsea had the chance to get their act together. Uh, I think Chelsea and Arsenal operate kind of as polar opposites almost in the transfer market. Arsenal try and be methodical, detailed, uh, honest. I think uh, Chelsea like to sit back like a like a lion behind a hedge, watching their prey silently, <laughs> think, waiting to pounce almost. I don't think you there's know, hedges that, where lions are, but I get the point you're making. <laughs> but, oh, right, OK. Uh, I might be bush. wrong. I, I mean, be, sorry, yes. in, the, in the bush, in the bush. Uh, forgive me. Behind the begonias. Own. That's where lions often hide, <laughs> I believe. But uh, I, I, I think the biggest disappointment I, I felt was twofold. 
Um, one in terms of a sort of bigger picture of football and how it works. So I actually felt a bit sorry for Mudrick. Well, I thought he looked um, a bit embarrassed when he walked out of Chelsea yesterday. Well, I think he looked a bit shell-shocked. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy who has spent the last number of weeks or perhaps even longer with his heart set on a move to Arsenal that, as far as the player and the club were concerned, was agreed. Yeah. You know, um, it was just a, ca- a case of whether Arsenal and Shakhtar could thrash it out. And Shakhtar are a really difficult club to deal with and the middlemen involved were even more difficult. And... I don't. I think when you analyse it, the contract is actually quite a bad contract for Madrid. I mean, to be signed up on the, if the reported figures are correct, yeah. if he's going to be as brilliant as everyone says he's going to be, a hundred grand a week is not uh, an elite wage for a top Premier League player. And to be tied to, if he, even if in a couple of years he turns out to flourish and be uh, uh, unstoppable, he's. Chelsea have no reason to, uh, hey, here's an extended contract. He's tied to them for most of his bloody life. I mean, and I think I had visions of people at Stamford Bridge sort of going around turning off televisions while the North London derby was on so that he, so that he didn't get to see it. Imagine, you know, he's been studiously watching every Arsenal game for the last little while. And that, you know, that would have been amazing for anyone who's got uh, a bit of Arsenal vibes about them. And I'm sure he'd allowed himself to become a bit of a fan. And, you know, he came out of Stamford Bridge in the Ukrainian flag. And, you know, there was a video I saw of him being unveiled and half-empty stadium, sort of half-applauding. It was all very understated. It was. And it wasn't really what he was expecting. Or wanting. I feel like he was almost forced into it. I I would agree pretty much with everything you said, Amy. And on sober reflection, I I think it was right to step away. But I will only be fully... uh, I will only fully feel that uh, when we do get some... One, possibly two players in, in the next two weeks, because we didn't have a lot off the bench yesterday. Our boys did a great job. Sorry, men did a great job yesterday. And uh, and it was brilliant. But we've got some enormous games coming up. You know, we've got Europa League. We've got an FA Cup tie against Man City in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, I completely forgot about that. Well, yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, we've got some huge games. And... and Right now, I'm all in for the league. I mean, I'd play the youth team in the Europa League at this point, <laughs> if I'm totally <laughs> honest with you. But but we... I mean, there was a lot of people are talking about, have we got a plan B? I mean, surely, really, when it comes to things like this, really, the plan B is identifying a couple of other players just in case your main targets fall through and basically asking the clubs, are they available? Would you be interested? And then the, the proper negotiations start now. Yeah, I mean, that's what it has to be. And it becomes really difficult when you... When you plan long term, obviously that's why the summer's mu- a much better window anyway. When you kind of shorten that to what are we two weeks now, it's going to be really difficult. But I think that's the Europa League that you mentioned. That's the thing that kind of struck me with that Thursday Sunday turnaround. It it becomes a lot more evident what the problem is because you c- you can't afford to play Saka and Ketia and Martinelli 90 minutes on Thursday and then again on Sunday that can't really happen so we have to blow we I have think, to throw the Europa League almost if we get to a point maybe 10 games from now I mean as this as things stand we, 
Arsenal have one centre forward, yeah. potentially for another like two or three months. Yeah. It's you know even had Mudrick come, it's still a little bit bonkers. Yeah. So therefore, we do have to get someone in. We'll see. I guess. I mean, I mean, we've been saying this on this uh, on this podcast for a while. Let's see what happens. But they must be looking at people. I think the problem was that there there was a certain level of confidence that Madrid would happen, and because of that, they were so all in on that that they weren't really thinking too much about plans B or C or what have you. Obviously, there are other people they can turn to. It's not the only footballer in the world and it's not the only one that they know about or like. But he was very much the favourite. I think if they thought that it might not happen, but I believe that as recently as Saturday morning, which considering he pretty much signed in the afternoon, Arsenal was still very confident that he would come. So it is... It's going to cause some shockwaves in the club, but it's just a question of regrouping very quickly. You know, in football, you have to react to situations that change overnight. You know, a player breaks his leg. There's a major discipline issue. You know, wh- whatever the hell it is, there's stuff that happens. The captain that goes up to your jail. Plans. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, we've um, had that. Yeah. So, some, you know, you have to be able to be flexible enough to figure out what you're going to do with certain situations. And... I think that with the best will in the world, this plan was something that they thought was going to happen, even though they thought it might take a little bit longer because they knew it was complex dealing with the the people involved. It's now taking stock, brushing themselves down. And I love the fact that with this, um, this big distraction over the weekend didn't have any bearing whatsoever on the field against Tottenham was a real significant thing in terms of what is going on in that dressing room. Yeah, that says a lot. They about weren't allowing it no. to to uh, make them miss a beat. But off the pitch, they ha- have got to take work their, to do. as quick as, as quick as time as they can to get back on the drawing board and get on the phone and start working out what they're going to do instead. Because I just think, you can't gamble. It was a bit like this time last January with the Aubameyang situation. We've talked about this countless times. Could they get someone in? And they ended up not. Yeah. And everybody knows that and that was us. a problem come the end of the season. And they can't repeat that. So whatever they choose to do, whichever players they choose to try and get, they have to get some significant quality through the door in January. Um, there was... Another massive London derby yesterday in the Women's Super League. Uh, Arsenal took on Chelsea. It was one all. Uh, things still in the balance. Chelsea currently three points clear, but we have a game in hand. I know that none of us actually saw the game, um, but just a couple of little points. Uh, are, there were over 40,000 fans at the game. Um, Arsenal committed at least six games to having the women play at the Emirates. We are fully behind the women's team. We talked about the artwork and the fact that the uh, the Champions League winners are on there next to the Invincibles, and it and it it's 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 a club moving forward. I mean, it has been since since the women's team was formed. To be fair, yeah. uh, with Vic Akers, and I think going forward, I think the encouraging thing is, as you say, three games in a row has been over forty thousand tickets sold at the Emirates, and I think. That's, I guess, the momentum you want to carry to be able to make it even more regular in the following seasons rather than, say, if we looked to last season, it was a bit 
of a kind of one-off thing. I think it was three games throughout the year, maybe. This year, six. And the big difference, I think, has been, obviously, the the weekend games have had much better attendances than the Champions League games just because of logistics. But if you make it as regular an occurrence as possible, then I think that's when, obviously, you have to match it with performances on the pitch as well. But that's when you, you may get a bit more equilibrium between those kind of things but on a general kind of point as a whole I think the way it Arsenal market it as well is quite good because it's not like they just kind of put the tickets out there and just hope people buy them there's a run-in as well in that week where I think they do get a lot of tickets sold in that week leading up to the game as well which is obviously very different from how it would work in in men's football so I think it's all about kind of building off that momentum and then once you have that with I guess regulars you you get a bit more consistency which is what I think is probably the aim yeah and and um uh, well there were some uh, fans who, who actually missed the start because they couldn't get in so uh because <laughs> of the number of people outside so uh obviously things are, are they've got to sort that out but it shows how many people want to watch uh, uh, the games. Um, also, our thoughts are with Beth Mead. Uh, she lost her mum, uh, died died the other day. And the men's and women's team uh, both uh, did a little tribute to her. Yeah, our thoughts are with her. Um, Amy, I mentioned the artwork. I know you weren't on last week. Were you at the event, by the way, the other day? Yes. You were. Um, I mean... Great. I mean, I, I haven't seen a lot of negativity at all. I've had one or two on Twitter, but not many. Uh, the general feeling uh, out there and on this podcast was that it just, it felt really connected with the club and very and very current, very contemporary with how the club are and what we feel about the club. Do you feel the same way about this? I think they've done a pretty extraordinary job in what was a, a massive task. Someone said it um, that they felt this was the biggest undertaking that Arsenal have done outside of moving stadium, which shows you how much internally they put into this and trying to get it right. Uh, I think it's really bold, audacious, ambitious. You know, when you first hear, all oh, right, OK, we're going to kind of take a blank canvas and do some art, new artwork for the stadium, you know that it could go wrong. They could not hit the right notes. But um, they put heart and soul, I think, into the... Um, consultation and listen to a lot of people from across the fan base and playing staff and within the club and ex-players to put this thing together now it's art it's subjective it's football it's emotional so god knows you can't please everyone um there's bits i might i I like more than others but i think overall it's uh, it's something that will be admired and copied around the world and in my kind of Insomniac's hour while I was going around Twitter last night after the game I I was drawn to a few um, videos of fan groups around the world celebrating the North London derby and uh, shout out for the Denver Gooners who looked like they had a really really good time and um, there's a guy out in Nigeria I'm sorry I can't remember his name but um who uh, who got got a big gathering together? It looked absolutely brilliant. The Kenyan Gooners were out in force. I think the Kenyan Gooners did a um, some kind of special prayer day on Sunday morning, and all got together and did special prayers for 
for the team and and you know all sorts of things like that. Keep them coming, and, and, Kenyan Gooners. And when you, when you yeah, but when you see that kind of long distance love, that's where I think things like the you know the thinking that went into having the you know the global and indeed local supporters clubs kind of woven together in this sort of rich tapestry is a is a fantastic move because I think for those people around the world to feel that they're part of match day in North London. Yeah. Every game. It Every is game. Brilliant. And that and that is listening to fans, trying to work out what the fans uh, mean to the club and what the club means to the fans and putting it into a visual kind of um statement so I kind of like everyone I guess can't wait to see it took the dog for a walk around the stadium the other day it's still naked they need some less windy weather to start getting it up there and um yeah it's going to be exciting to see it it going up bit by bit and uh, uh Amy you have written a great piece uh in uh, on the website about this um was that your favorite by the way the fans one I mean I said that was mine the the fans from all over yeah, the world but Highbury I mean, I've was got, the other one I've got yeah equal favorites really that one and Highbury I mean Highbury is is going to be a favourite for people of our generation. Of course, of course. It just looks effing brilliant. <laughs> um, all right, let's have a song. Let's have a song. Wow. Ah, oh, I'm going to start with you. And by the way, can <laughs> I just say, word for last week, uh, The uh, what was the one you had? Uh, uh, Your defence is in trouble. Uh, and Ketty's in the room. room. <laughs> oh, my God, I've been listening to that on a loop. Since, I mean, it, actually, our producer uh, Jesse last week put it out there and uh, got a lot of reaction, and I did, and I and I started listening to it. So um, <laughs> thanks for that. So what have you got for us this week? Slightly more silly this week. Um, I'm not sure if you guys, maybe like when your kids were younger, you might have seen it. There's a movie called Over the Hedge. Oh, I love Over the Hedge. Out. My friend Omid yeah. Jalili is in it. He plays the cat. Is it? So I oh my know, god! Yes, I Are there any that. lions near that hedge? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, it's a smaller cat. Yes, over the hedge. One of my favourite ever scenes when the um, uh, when I think it's a it's what is it a stoat or something drinks uh, an energy drink and the whole world <laughs> yeah. stops. I think it was I thought it was hilarious. So anyway, yeah. go on. I, I'm aware um, of it. So there's there's a song in there called "Rock in the Suburbs," and despite obviously the Emirates or Tottenham not being suburb area i think i'll just go with that because it was a, a north london derby local kind of win so i'll go with rock in the suburbs from the over the hedge soundtrack we're rocking the suburbs around the park just one more time we're rocking the suburbs because i can't tell which house is mine <laughs> your choice is really it's a it's a, a wide range i must say um <laughs> Uh, Amy, if you don't mind, because I love your choices, but I just want to sort of mention mine here. Be- beating Spurs at their place is is really as good as it gets for Arsenal fans. Um, so I've gone for actually one of my favourite songs of all time, which is uh, The Sweetest Feeling by Jackie Wilson. I absolutely love it when his voice kicks in. Uh, so I'm having that because it was a sweet feeling yesterday. What are you having, Amy? Well, I, I virtually made a playlist though, there's so many options. <laughs> well, you were up for half the night, weren't you? Let's be fair. Yeah, exactly. But I've settled for, I felt like it was such an emotional weekend. You know, it was fairly emotional watching the Manchester Derby because I felt like that was so significant. Uh, yeah. And the result was uh, was something that really teed us all off. Then the whole Mudrick thing just sent everyone 
kind of into a different space. And then, you know, the ladies game and then and then the men's game, uh, it was it was almost overwhelming. And I, I was looking at songs about emotion and I've decided to go for a song by The Emotions, The Best of My Love. Because Arsenal really are the best of our love at the moment. Lovely. Uh, that's it for Handbreak Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by, by The Athletic. Thank you to Amy. Uh, thank you to R and thank you to Abby, uh, our producer. And um, I don't need to tell you enjoy your Monday, do I, Gunas? Because I know you will. And <laughs> read all the reports, listen to whatever. It's lovely. We beat Spurs yesterday. Uh, so have a lovely day. Uh, see you soon. ta Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.